Hi, my name is Kayla and this is Feel Good Murders. And boy, oh boy, does it feel good to be back. <laughs> I uh, moved to a different state and I had a whole mess of crap going on in my life. So I needed to get my shit together, move, and I'm here now. So thank you all so much for being patient. I mean, I still had a few people even message me and say, oh, I love the podcast. I'm getting caught up. So means a lot to me that you guys, you know, are so patient and still support the podcast. Um, because at the end of the day, what do I say? Like we on this podcast, we talk about true crime for what? For our mental health. That's right. So sometimes it's important to take a break. Even though I really didn't want to, I want to be as consistent as possible, but sometimes it's just not possible. So we're back now though. I came back strong with a really well-known case um, that actually just got wrapped up last year. So with that, I don't really have anything else to say, but let's get started. This is the story of Brittany Drexel. So starting out, the year is 1991 in Rochester, New York. And if you're like me and you don't know anything about the Northeastern United States, <laughs> I looked up where in New York Rochester is, and it's like more north. It's close to Canada, and it's really close to Lake Ontario. So Rochester, New York, and there's a woman named Dawn. She gets pregnant by a man named John Kayaglu. I don't know how to pronounce that, but... So they're teenagers at the time. She gets pregnant, and then later that year, she gives birth to their baby on October 7th, 1991 a beautiful baby girl named Brittany. And since Dawn and John were so young, when they had this baby, they both decided that they don't need to stay together. They're too young, you know, like they just kind of went their own ways. And John, I believe, moved down to Florida and didn't really have a relationship with Brittany until later in her life, actually just a year before this whole case happened, uh, is when they rekindled their relationship. So sometime after Dawn and John split up, Dawn meets a man named Chad Drexel. She marries Chad and her and Brittany take his last name. So they become Dawn Drexel and Brittany Drexel. And they were a really good family. Chad was totally the stepdad that Brittany, I'm sure, needed. He did his part well. Him and Brittany were really close. It just seemed like they were a close family in general. So they were having a good time. Fast forward to 2009, Brittany is now 17 years old. She has two younger siblings who she loves, by the way. She loves so much. I guess she was protective over, over them, and they just loved her too. Um, Brittany was really sweet, and she was even described by her mom as, quote, full of life. So also at this time, Brittany's in high school in Chai Lai, New York, and it looks like Chile, but it's Chai Lai. She goes to Chai Lai High School, and I guess she's a really good soccer player. Like, this girl is five foot nothing and 100 pounds, and I guess out on the field, she's, like, killing it. She's quick. She's tenacious. She's, I mean, she's really good, apparently. So she's also so pretty. Like, she just has these really striking eyes and this just cute face. Like, she's so so pretty, especially like she's exactly what 
you would have wanted to look like in 2009 in high school. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm guessing at least. I don't know. I was in fifth grade. No, I was in sixth grade, so I couldn't really tell you. But I do know that like she, she was so pretty, so sweet, such a good soul. Now, sadly at this time, Brittany is kind of going through it. Dawn and Chad are splitting up around this time. So that's really hard on Brittany because remember, Chad and Brittany are really close. I mean, for all intents and purposes, he was her dad. Chad was Brittany's dad. And so now they're splitting up and that's really hard on Brittany. And I have also heard but wasn't able to confirm it for myself that their house was going under foreclosure as well. So things are really piling up for Brittany. She did have a time where, at this point, where her mental health was not good. She was diagnosed with depression. And I mean, all of this on top of just normal 17-year-old stuff, like she is just going through a tough time. So now it's April of 2009. It's time for spring break. And again, Brittany's going through a tough time. So she wants to have some fun. There are two girls who invited her to go to Myrtle Beach with her. Like they all thought it would be really fun to go down to Myrtle Beach and party for like the second half of spring break. As far as I can tell, it was like the later part of spring break. So Myrtle Beach from Rochester, New York is about 14 hours. So they were like, yeah, we will make this road trip down to Myrtle Beach and we'll party. We'll hang out. It'll be so much fun. So Brittany asks her mom, Dawn, if she can go on this trip. And for good reason, Dawn says no. She's like, I don't know these girls. You're not 18. You're 17. It's not safe. You're not going. There's no adults there. She's like, absolutely not. And she had this premonition that something bad was going to happen. And let me tell you, I'm a mom now. And those mom-like ability to know when something is wrong or when something is going to go wrong is so real and it's it's crazy if you hear a mom say that something bad is going to happen you should probably listen but Brittany, being 17 years old and you know going through what she is she is mad about it she probably just wants to hang out with these cool older girls and you know whatever but this causes some tension in the house between the two of them. And by tension, I mean like they fought about it. This caused arguments for days, but Dawn stuck to her guns. So on April 22nd, Brittany finally gives in. She's like, okay, I won't go to Myrtle Beach, but can I go stay at my friend's house just like a few miles away just to like cool off and have some fun there? So Dawn was like, yeah, you can do that. Just let me talk to said friend's mom first. So Dawn talks to the mom on the phone and is like, you know, everything's fine. But it wasn't this girl's mom at all. It was the friend on the phone. And you know what? Dawn seems like she has her shit together. So this friend must have been really convincing to have basically fooled Dawn into thinking that it was the mom. So the day comes and Brittany says goodbye and uh, Brittany, Brittany, Brittany. And I don't want to like tisk tisk because, you know, when you find out what happened, but Brittany does not go to her friend's house. Brittany goes on the trip to Myrtle Beach without telling her mom or Chad. 
So the two girls who invited her, their names are Alana Lippa and Jennifer Oberer. And they're also traveling with Phil Oberer, who's Jennifer's boyfriend and Alana's, no, who is Alana's boyfriend and Jennifer's brother. That was a tongue twister. They will eventually meet up with Jennifer's boyfriend, whose name is Uger Ozturk. And I also forgot to mention that Brittany at this point does have a boyfriend. His name is John Greco. And she invited him to go because, you know, they've all got their boyfriends there. But John had to work, so he sadly couldn't go. Oh, and by the way, John Greco is such a cutie. (laughs) I don't know what he looks like now, but he was just like so cute back then. Okay, so now I'm going to start giving you a timeline. On Thursday, April 23rd, 2009, they arrive in Myrtle Beach. And the girls are staying together in a hotel room at the Bar Harbor Hotel, which is also kind of a tongue twister, and I have to say it slowly. (laughs) When they're there, they meet up with more people. Their names are Viet Nguyen, Louis Diamaco, Nico Churik, Khalid Sinclair, and Anthony Humphreys. So this spring break trip is tradition for the seniors at Chai Lai High School. But remember, Brittany is not a senior. She's a junior and she's 17 at this point and everybody else here is 18 or older. And now there's like a bunch of guys in the mix. So she's with these people that she doesn't even know because Jennifer and Alana She doesn't even really know them either. Like, they are not friends. I couldn't find a single source that tells you how these three ended up going on a trip together because they are, they kind of know each other from school, but they're not friends. So, this seems like a sketchy situation to me, Um, but okay. So that night, they all decide to go out, party, and they go to a place called Club Kryptonite. And you have to look up Club Kryptonite because it is so cheesy. <laughs> like, it looks like it should be a cartoon. It is. It looks like, I don't know, Pizza Planet in Toy Story, but like turned evil. It is so weird looking. And I believe Club Kryptonite is an 18 and over club, but... It's not like they really tried very hard to stop underage drinking. So the group is drinking, they're, you know, dancing, partying, having a good time. And while they're there, Brittany runs into a friend that she knows from back home in Rochester, and his name is Peter Brozowitz. And remember Peter Brozowitz because he's going to be important. And we're going to add a bunch more characters to this story as well, because with Peter Brozowitz is... Keith Cummings, Phil Watson, Matt Ahrens, and Anthony Schmizzy. And with a name like Schmizzy, you just know he was a douche. Like, I'm sorry, Schmizzy, I'm judging you based on your name, but come on. Schmizzy? (laughs) So the thing that you'll want to know about Peter Brozowitz is that he's a 20-year-old club promoter, and he looks like it. So just... Keep that in mind when I talk about Peter in this story. So the group is having fun that night, and it does sound like during this night, as it goes on, Brittany kind of finds out that these girls, Jennifer and Alana, are more into partying than she is comfortable with. Like, I heard there were drugs present, and Brittany, I think, is 
probably trying to like party her troubles away a little bit, but it sounds like maybe this was just a little too much for her. But regardless, there are photos of Brittany and the group from that night, and they do look like they are having a good time. So it sounds like they had fun at Club Kryptonite. So the next morning, though, on Friday, April 24th, 2009, Brittany is texting her boyfriend, John, and she's saying how horrible of a time she's having. She's telling him she doesn't like it there. She's not having fun. She wants to go home. She wishes... She wishes... <laughs> Oh my god, my mouth just broke. She wishes she could be with him. And she's saying that the girls are bullying her. I mean, these girls were really truly bullying her. They were being mean to her. They were excluding her. They were just being straight up bitches to Brittany. I, for why? For, for what? We don't know. It sucks to think of her in this situation because... I have been there and I think a lot of people have probably been there where you're literally being bullied and excluded by your friends and it sucks. It really sucks, especially because she's just stuck there. So John is texting her and he is saying like, I'm so sorry, just trying to make the best of it. Like he's just really trying to be supportive. But ultimately, Brittany decides to just go on her own, distance herself. And since she's trying to distance herself, she goes and takes a walk on the main strip in Myrtle Beach. And remember, Brittany is cute and she's tiny. So she's walking alone on the main strip of Myrtle Beach and obviously men are catcalling her and probably saying nasty things to her. And she's totally vulnerable and scared. She finds a guy who looks to be about her age and who she thinks looks nice. So she goes up to him and asks if he will just walk with her to keep her safe, and he very kindly agrees to do so. Brittany and this guy go back to Brittany's hotel together. The other girls were away for the night, and at first I was really suspicious, like, Brittany, what are you doing bringing this guy you don't know back to your hotel room while you're alone with him? But no, thankfully it was totally wholesome, nothing happened, they were just chatting, hanging out. I think Brittany just genuinely needed some genuine company. Like, I mean, she had just been bullied this whole time, so she just needed someone to hang out with. This guy takes a video, or a few videos of Brittany on his cell phone, and again, like, it's not weird, he's just trying to be funny or whatever, and... There's videos of them like just chatting and laughing and then and the last video I saw was of Brittany sitting on the balcony and texting. Texting John, I'm assuming, but that one was timestamped at about 11:45 p.m. So, I'm not sure what happened after that. I think the guy probably just went home and Brittany just went to sleep because nothing happens. Okay. Remember Peter Brazowitz? I told you he was going to be important. So the next day, Saturday, April 25th, 2009, Brittany spends the time on the beach with Peter and all of his guys. After that, Peter drives her back to her hotel, but before that happens, at about 2 p.m., Dawn calls Brittany. She just wants to check in, and she wants to talk about some new soccer cleats, because remember, Brittany is a really good soccer player. So they're just chatting and whatnot, and then when they go to hang up, Brittany says to her mom, quote, I love you, mom. I'll see you tomorrow. And those 
would be the last words she would ever say to her mom. Later that night at about 8 p.m., Brittany needed to go back to Peter's hotel because she had left her flip-flops in her car. So I don't know why nobody could have driven her, but she starts walking by herself to the Blue Water Resort where Peter and his friends were staying. So mind you, this is a mile and a half walk and she's alone at 8 p.m. again in Myrtle Beach, this tiny little thing just walking around. So there is CCTV footage of her walking on the street at 8.15 p.m. Then there is footage of her arriving at the Blue Water Resort at 8.35 p.m. And then it shows her leaving at 8.45. So she's literally there just to get the flip-flops and leave. She's only there for 10 minutes. So I do need to back up just a little bit, though. Before... Brittany leaves her hotel, the Bar Harbor Hotel. Jennifer loans her a pair of shorts to wear. So she walks all the way to the Blue Water Resort to get her flip-flops. When she gets there, Jennifer texts her and says, actually, no, I want my shorts back. You need to bring them back now. So Brittany, for good reason, is angry about this. They're fighting about these shorts, and Jennifer, I guess, is just being really rude about it. So she starts making her walk back to the hotel to return the dang shorts. And the whole time she is texting John back and forth, like consistently. And at one point she's in, she's telling John kind of about this whole Jennifer situation. And at one point she says she's quote, so heated and that she'll tell him about the situation later at 8 58 PM. Brittany sent a text to John that said, quote, I'm staying in, packing, and going to sleep probably. This is in response to, again, John trying to be supportive. And he says, I'm so sorry, just trying to make the best of it. You know, like it's your last night there. He's just really trying to get her to have fun and, you know, not be so miserable. And, but she says, no, I'm, I'm just going to pack and stay in. That text, again, is sent at 8.58 p.m. And after that, the texting would suddenly stop. Brittany and John had been texting constantly. So when he didn't hear back from her 10 minutes later, he texted her again, showing some concern. He basically says, hey, I'm worried about you. I don't want you out there alone by yourself. You know, text me back. And he still doesn't hear from her. A while later, he starts really trying to get her to text back. He says, stop messing around. And then eventually... He says, hey, if you don't answer me, I'm going to call your mom and tell her where you are. He's really trying to pull out all of the stops that he can to get Brittany to text back, but still no reply. So John, and so much props to him for this, he does exactly what he says he was going to do. He called Dawn and he said, I'm so sorry, Brittany is not at her friend's house. She's in Myrtle Beach and I can't get a hold of her. And so... Dawn, of course, is freaking out at this point. I mean, her little girl, her baby, is 14 hours away in Myrtle Beach, which she didn't even know she was there. And now John can't get a hold of her? That's terrifying. So Dawn eventually calls Alana and Jennifer, and they don't answer. And I guess, to be fair, in a way, those girls were out partying that night, so it kind of makes sense that they didn't answer. But Dawn leaves frantic voicemails on both of their phones, 
And you would think that when they got around to their phones, they would call Dawn back, or at minimum, they would text Dawn back. But they never replied to Dawn. To this day, Dawn has never heard from Alana and Jennifer. Nobody in Brittany's family has ever spoken to one of them. How gutless is that, that you hear this mother freaking out about the girl that you took on vacation and have been bullying the whole time. You don't even know where she is and you won't even speak to the mom. So Dawn then calls Peter Brozowitz and she actually does get a hold of him. But according to Dawn, Peter is kind of giving her the runaround as far as I can tell. She says that he's giving her like three different accounts of what happened and she says it just doesn't make sense. So Peter really wasn't helpful in that situation. She then calls the Myrtle Beach police and they say that they can't do anything at that time because somebody has to physically go in to report a missing person. Thankfully, Dawn has a family friend in South Carolina. She calls him and he says, no problem, I'm on my way. He goes down there to one, search for Brittany and two, file a missing persons report. He doesn't find Brittany, but he is able to file the report. So Dawn and John are constantly, repeatedly calling Brittany, and she doesn't answer. And as far as I can tell, those two and Chad, I believe, immediately got in the car and went to Myrtle Beach. I Actually, I say get in the car, but I don't know if they flew there. But, I mean, they were on their way as soon as possible, basically, was what I'm trying to say. The next morning, the police are able to start their investigation. Police search Brittany's hotel room and find that all of her belongings are still there and they're packed up like she said she was going to do. She said she was going to stay in and pack. So they're there. Everything is there except for her purse and her cell phone, which were on her person with her when she went missing. Now, listen to this. Peter Brozowitz and all of the rest of the characters abruptly check out of their hotel at two o'clock in the morning, the night that Brittany goes missing. They just up and leave. I mean, the guys in Peter's room, they left clothes there and they didn't even collect their deposit. They literally just got their shit and left in the middle of the night. So obviously, Peter becomes a person of interest because he was the last person to see Brittany And he abruptly leaves in the middle of the night, and when he gets back to Rochester, he lawyers up. Now, everybody in the true crime world knows that it is well within your right, and it's smart to get a lawyer. But it does not make you look good in the eyes of the public or the media, really. Two weeks after Britney's disappearance... Dawn and Chad actually go on the Dr. Phil show and address Peter on this show. And the media was painting this episode as kind of like Peter Brozowitz's chance to speak out because Peter was upset that his reputation was being damaged in the media. Because remember, Peter is a 20-year-old club promoter. So I'm sure you can imagine... He cares about this image that he has. And sure enough, he shows up on the Dr. Phil show with this club promoter look. Like he has his hair slicked, an unbuttoned shirt. I think he has a gold chain on, something gold. There's something gold there. But he goes on this show and Dawn addresses him and says, 
why didn't you drive my daughter home? Why did you just let her walk? And Peter, back to her, says, well, I offered, but she said, I'm fine. Like, he made Brittany out to be this little brat, basically, on TV. And he also said, I wasn't there to babysit. He says this to Chad and Don Drexel on national television about how he he wasn't there to babysit Brittany. So Peter Brozowitz was questioned by the police, as were all of the other characters that Brittany was with on this spring break trip. I'm talking Alana, Jennifer, Shemizzi, all of them. Peter was the only person named as a person of interest, as far as I can tell, but he was cleared and so was everybody else. The guy that Brittany hung out with in her hotel room was also cleared because when he saw that she was missing, he immediately went to the police and turned in those videos and said, hey, I was with her. And the police were never even suspicious of him. So he's a good guy and he was totally fine. So no suspects in the initial investigation because everybody has been cleared. Even the people you think would do it because they've been bullying her this whole time. Police then resort to checking the pings that are coming from Brittany's cell phone. And they find that that night she went missing, her phone pinged about 60 miles south of Myrtle Beach in Georgetown County at a rate of speed that would tell you that it was in a car. At least the cell phone was in a car going south. And there's no reason that Brittany would have gone south from Myrtle Beach on her own. And then at 11.57 p.m., her phone pings one last time in McClellanville, South Carolina, before the phone dies. And that is where the trace of her is lost. So the area that the phone was pinging in is really swampy and full of alligators, honestly. So the police search the area, they search the alligator pits, and Brittany is not found. And this case starts gaining massive national attention. Remember, they were on the Dr. Phil show. Her case was on America's Most Wanted. Her case was on, not Dateline, what was it? Her case was on, oh, her case was on the cover of People magazine at one point. People just generally want Britney to be found. And remember, she's this young, pretty girl who vanished on spring break in Myrtle Beach. This is a story, especially to parents. This is like parents' worst nightmare. So people are really rallying for this case. So police continue to search. They continue to follow up on leads. Britney's loved ones continue to search and they continue to hand out flyers, canvas the place. They're giving it everything that they have. But weeks go by, and months go by, and years go by, and Brittany is not found. And, okay, so before I go on for the rest of the episode, I want to put out a trigger warning because I'm going to be mentioning sexual assault a few times. In 2016, an inmate named Tuquan Brown at a South Carolina prison came forward saying that he had information about Brittany's disappearance. Brown said that in 2009... Two days after Brittany disappeared, he was visiting a stash house in McClellanville, which was owned by a man named Sean Taylor. He was there to do business or whatever he was doing. He said that while he was there, he saw Brittany, 
and he saw her being sexually assaulted by a man named Timothy Deshaun Taylor, who is Sean Taylor's son and also another inmate at the same prison he's in when he's giving this information. Brittany was being sexually assaulted by 8 to 12 men. She then ran outside, tried to escape, and they grab her and pistol whip her. And then Brown says he heard two gunshots. And then they brought out what he assumed was a body rolled up in a rug and they threw it in the alligator pit. Brown also told authorities that Timothy Deshaun Taylor kidnapped Brittany from Myrtle Beach and he trafficked her out to his friends. And then when her case gained too much national attention, they got worried and they killed her. So, Timothy Deshaun Taylor. In 2011, he was a getaway driver for a robbery at a McDonald's. And for this robbery, he got probation while everybody else involved got time in prison. So police used this to question him about Brittany Drexel. In 2017, Timothy Deshaun Taylor was given a polygraph and asked if he knew Brittany, if he had anything to do with it, or if he knows anybody that had anything to do with it. And he said, no, I don't know her. I wasn't involved and I don't know anybody that was. The only thing he admitted to was overhearing a conversation about what to do with Brittany's cell phone. I guess it was more of a really heated argument than a conversation. But so it's weird because he says he doesn't know anybody involved, but he also says he knows this conversation. Timothy Deshaun Taylor has never been charged in relation to Brittany's disappearance, but the police and the media pursue him for years. The people are generally convinced that he is the one that killed Brittany. Now, in February of 2012, Brittany had been missing for three years at this point, and police say that they have a primary person of interest, and his name is Raymond Moody. Raymond Moody is a registered sex offender who lives in Georgetown County, South Carolina. He became a person of interest because, obviously, of his extensive criminal background, and he was stopped and given a speeding ticket in Myrtle Beach the day after Brittany disappeared. So that puts him there when she went missing. This doesn't really lead to much until 10 years later in 2022. Just last year, Raymond Moody was arrested on a charge of obstruction of justice, and in his interrogation, he fully confessed to killing Brittany and gave a detailed account of it. According to Raymond Moody, this is what happened to Brittany Drexel. On that night, April 25th, 2009, Raymond Moody and his girlfriend were driving in Myrtle Beach when they saw Brittany walking alone. According to Moody, Brittany voluntarily got in the car with them to smoke some marijuana. He then drove them to a campground in Georgetown County near where he lives in hopes of having consensual sex with Brittany. When that didn't happen, he got angry, raped her, and strangled her to death, only to come back later to dispose her body in a wooded area of Georgetown County. Three days after this confession, on May 11, 2022, the remains of a 17-year-old girl were found in a wooded area of Georgetown County. On May 15th, these remains were confirmed to be those of 17-year-old missing high school student Brittany Drexel. 
Moody was arrested and charged with murder, kidnapping, and first-degree criminal sexual misconduct. On October 19, 2022, Moody pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 60 years. And he made a statement in court, and he called himself a monster, and he said he was sorry. Can you imagine hearing that as her parents? He's sorry. Chad and Don also made statements in court that day, and at one point Don is quoted saying that nobody wins. And I think what she means by that is they got justice, they did, they found out what happened to their little girl, but that's a double-edged sword because it doesn't bring her back. And now they know what happened to their little girl. And they can imagine how scared she must have been when it happened. So my thoughts are with them today. That's something that I don't think anybody can heal from. So I just hope that they find peace eventually. And of course, rest in peace to the beautiful soul, Brittany Drexel. The story sucks. When, you, when I first started researching it, like you think it's this big kind of almost drama story where like the girls who are bullying her kill her or something like that. But it turns out to be just so much worse. And the thing with Timothy Deshaun Taylor, I guess, ended up being nothing. I'm so confused about what Tuquan Brown thought he saw or what he was trying to accomplish with that story. So because he got no reward from the FBI or from anybody for giving that confession. So I don't know how that all happened, but Timothy Deshaun Brown is officially cleared. His mom fought for a long time to get him cleared. Um, But yeah, I don't know what the deal was with that because it just turned out to be nothing at all. It wasn't even related to what happened. So I don't know. Oh, also, I tried to look up Peter Brozowitz on like social media or anything I could find. And I did find his Facebook profile. I believe it's him. Um, it sure looks like a more grown up version of him. Like he just looks like a guy. Now he is a smoking hot fiance. So good for him, I guess. I don't know how he did that because he's not good looking. Sorry, but I don't don't know. I don't know if he's still promoting clubs or whatever he's doing. I mean, he's like 30 now, so I don't know what he's up to, but he just likes, he just looks like a regular dude. I tried to find what he does for work and etc., but I couldn't. And I also couldn't find Alana or Jennifer. Um, They must, you know, make their profile is pretty private because obviously people are going to come after them regarding this case. So eh, none of them turned out to be interesting. I think they probably just remained bullies. That is the story of Brittany Drexel. Normally I say I hope you enjoyed today's episode, but this was a tough one, honestly. This was a really tough one. So thank you for joining me. And I do, I do hope that This podcast, as always, serves as a way to help you distract yourself from what you have going on in your life, because that is ultimately the goal here. Hug your loved ones a little bit closer today, and don't lie to your parents about where you go on spring break, and don't be bullies. See you next time. Be good and feel good. Bye.